My name is Dr. Michael Watson. Uh, I'm a lecturer in Applied Mathematics at the University of New South Wales in Sydney, Australia. Uh, my name is Panvi Bahia. I'm a neuroscientist communicator and your host for Biology and Numbers, a podcast by the Society for Mathematical Biology. How's your day been so far, Mike? It's been good. It's been long and it's been hot. Um, oh. <laughs> Well, I think we would be suffering similar temperatures had I been in Florida as well. I happen to be back in the UK for this one. So we've set a challenge for our guests at the beginning of each episode to describe their research in 60 seconds or less. So whenever you're ready. Okay, so uh, my research, I kind of, I see myself generally as a mathematical modeler. Uh, and the theme of my research is typically, I want to build mathematical models to explain things that can't be explained by experiments. I've got a particular interest in understanding spatial phenomena. Um, I've always kind of been interested in patterns and things, so I'm very interested to understand how you know simple rules, simple things that cells do, for example, it can lead to interesting patterns that form, for example, in tissues. On a more specific level, I'm quite interested in processes like um, angiogenesis, which is the growth of blood vessels. Uh, and I'm also interested to understand um, the formation of atherosclerotic plaques. Uh, so that's my main research area at the moment, using models to, to understand what the cells are doing to drive the, the growth and formation of those plaques in, inside our arteries. Yes. So there's a broad summary. Marvellous. <laughs> <laughs> you did well. You did well. So regular listeners will now be getting used to our bits during each episode, so they may be expecting this one on whether you are team math or team bio. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. That's a good question. Uh, so first up, I guess I'll say I'm definitely team math. But it's quite an interesting question in the sense that, you know, I, I'm obviously working and studying mathematical biology, um, but I've got basically zero training in biology whatsoever. I haven't done bio, any biology since probably maybe the second year of high school. And so I'm trained in mathematics, particularly in applied mathematics. And, but the weird thing is actually in my current research life, I would say that because of the nature of the problems that I work on, I actually spend far more time reading the biological literature than I do reading the mathematical literature. Because, you know, studying a disease like atherosclerosis or something, the literature moves very fast. There's always new biological discoveries and those things tend to move a lot faster than uh, advances in the mathematical modeling of, of these things. So there's always lots more to read on the biology yeah. side. So very much team math, but very much interested in always learning about <laughs> the latest biology. So uh, that is really interesting. I does like that, that put me on the fence a little bit, maybe possibly? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the, it's two different perspectives compared to a lot of people saying they are definitely one or the other. It hadn't occurred to me that the the publications would mean that you actually spend more time delving into uh, reading one more than the other. So we'll get into your specific role within the society in a minute, but can you tell us how and why you first became a member of SMB? Yeah, good question. I'm not sure I ever really had a choice in the matter. So... <laughs> Um, so I started my PhD in 2008, and so one of my collaborators in my PhD was Professor Mark Chaplin, who is a former president of the of SMB, um, and obviously very very well known by everyone, I think. Um, and so I went to my first SMB conference in 2009, um, and I guess I was just hooked after that. I mean, I think 
obviously on some level it's in terms of international societies it's the most appropriate international society for the type of research that I do but it's certainly a community that I've always felt comfortable in um, and I always enjoy going to the annual meetings and I've tried to go to as many as possible over the years and take part and you know and meet everybody and find out what people have been doing. Yeah I too love going to the meetings they quite often tend to be in uh, very exotic areas so I know the next one is uh, South Korea right? Yeah 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 for sure I'd like to go to that one but Remains to be seen whether that will happen. But, uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least the commute to there from Australia is far less than uh, from Australia to so many of the other sites, I guess. Yeah, it's very true. And I think very little time difference as well, which is also unusual. Um, yeah, for sure. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so on that note, can you tell us more about the subgroups within the society and your role as one of the chairs of the cardiovascular modelling subgroup specifically? Yeah, sure. So I was thinking about this earlier, and I don't actually know at what point the subgroup started to be established. Um, I'm not sure exactly. But I think now there's there's around about 10 different subgroups in the society, and, and there's something that have become quite important as the society has got bigger. So there's now these kind of more focused areas that people can cluster within um, and meet people that are working within a similar area to what they're working in. Uh, so there are lots of different subgroups. You know, there's one on cancer modelling, oncology, epidemiological modelling, uh, math biology education. So lots of different things and lots of different groups where people can get together and, and talk to their peers in sort of more focused groups as opposed to, you know, when the subgroups didn't exist, it was just a, a bigger conference where you kind of, what you saw was what you got and it was a bit of everything. Uh, but you can yep. actually be a bit more focused now, which I think is important as the society has grown massively uh, in the last few years. So yeah, in terms of my role, so I'm co-chair of the newest subgroup in the society, which is the cardiovascular modelling subgroup. I'm going to take this opportunity while we're here to really plug the subgroup. Um, <laughs> we're really keen to, to get more people involved. And so the idea of the subgroup is basically if you do any research that's even vaguely related to anything uh, within the cardiovascular system, whether it's the heart or the vasculature or, or even the blood, we're very keen for people to get involved because ultimately all these things are connected in our bodies and they all kind of work together. And the idea of the subgroup is to, to bring people together that work on these problems. And so, you know, specifically in terms of the role, in terms of being the chair of the group or the co-chair, uh, I do this alongside a, a good friend called Vijay Rajagopal, who's at the University of Melbourne. Um, so I kind of approach things, I think more about the vascular side of things. He's more thinks about the cardiac side of things. Um, mm -hmm. So it's nice to have both sides of that coin um, represented within the leadership. Um, and so really, we try to promote the research area. We organize special sessions at the conferences. And we're actually been talking about doing some additional things away from the conferences as well, you know, maybe setting up a, a seminar series external to the, the annual conferences, etc. Um, but really, it's just a, it's a means to bring people together and to promote work and research within these different areas. Okay. So how does a new subgroup start? Yeah, so, so there's a formal process. Um, what I had to do in order to, to set it up was I had to create a petition. Um, I think it had to be signed by at least 30 existing members of the society. Um, and then that petition... Uh, I think I wrote sort of like a supporting kind of cover letter as well, kind of justifying why I thought the subgroup should exist. 
and it's considered by the board of directors of the society and they essentially decide whether or not it should should exist. Unfortunately for me, they, they did decide that it should exist, which I think is a really good thing because it's, you know, diseases of the cardiovascular system, for example, are, are such a, a big problem in the world these days. And, and there's a lot of work that, that could and should be done to study this more so, uh, particularly from a, a modelling perspective. Yeah. So, I mean, you've said already that the meeting has exploded and obviously there are more and more of these subgroups coming up. Is that a reflection then of the kind of field of mathematical biology and these kind of collaborations expanding across more and more biological fields? Is it people getting to understand that this is like a, a valid way of doing biological research, do you think? In terms of the, the expansion of the, the society? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's always been some activity in this area. And I think increased engagement with people working on the biological side of things and realizing that the potential power that you can have by actually developing models, particularly alongside experiments, um, you know, there's a nice synergy there where you can actually have a nice cycle where you do some experiment, you get some data, it informs a model, the model makes a prediction, and then you can then do another experiment to test that prediction and you get a nice kind of cycle that actually builds you know, layers of knowledge and understanding as, as you go through. And I think there's certainly been much more engagement in that type of stuff in, in more recent times. Um, and that probably does explain some of the growth of the society as well. I mean, and maybe it's also just the case that people who've been involved in the society for such a long time have actually done a really good job of promoting the, the area as well. I think that must be part of it also. And I know that's one of Heiko's goals with this podcast too. Well, yeah, exactly. He's doing a great job. <laughs> yes, yes. So your role in the society is related to cardiovascular research, but having had a look at your website, the fields that you cover are really very diverse and they range from doing biomedical research to studying oil recovery from hydrocarbon reservoirs. So can you tell us how you ended up doing the work that you do? Yeah, sure. Um, so I can kind of explain the the link, I guess, between those two things. So in my PhD research, that was all focused around building models of angiogenesis, uh, which is the growth of small blood vessels, capillaries. And so we were building models where both the, the growth of the capillaries were coupled to simulations of the flow within those networks that form. And um, so we were forming little, you know, networks of pipes, essentially, that were mm -hmm. connecting up as they grew, and then you'd simulate flow through those pipes. Uh, and for example, you could then simulate oxygen delivery to, to kind of understand how well these new vessels are oxygenating the tissue that they're um, developing in. And so if you think about these networks of, of pipes that we're forming, and then if you then think about, you know, if you think about a rock and you zoom into that very, very small scale, uh, and it's porous, and essentially a rock at that very small scale, just has a network of pipes in it. Um, and so using the same techniques, so this was work that I then did in a postdoc funded by the oil industry after my PhD. We kind of used the same types of models, but the, you know, the kind of physics of the problem that you're then talking about are fundamentally different. When you're thinking about oil recovery, you're thinking about, for example, you're injecting water into a reservoir filled with oil, and trying to force the oil out of mm -hmm. that reservoir. So, so in one case, you're simulating blood flow, which is complex in itself because it's a, 
it's a complex fluid. Um, but then on the other side of things, you're, you're dealing with having two fluids in your system that, that don't mix. Um, and so they're kind of ones kind of pushing the other through this network of pipes. Um, so similar types of models, but completely different processes and physics that you're modeling in these two, those two cases. So that's something actually I really enjoy learning about in terms of mathematical modeling is the idea that because these kind of mathematical concepts already exist, you can see parallels between, you know, completely different parts of the natural sciences, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that I love about mathematics. You know, you can, if you have a particular type of model, there are multiple different problems that you can apply it to. And there are some people who are very successful in, in doing that. I must say, you know, from my perspective, in terms of the research I've done, I've, it's actually quite rare that I've used the same type of model twice. I tend to kind of float around and, and think about different types of models. Uh, and I'm not just applying the same thing all the time. Um, but, you know, that kind of keeps me excited and, and interested and makes me learn new things all the time. So definitely both perspectives can exist uh, together there. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> So moving on a little bit more to your career path, for anyone who's good with accents, they may have noticed that yours is not the typical Aussie one. In fact, if you're looking for an authentic one of those, people should go back and listen to our episode with Matt Simpson. So Mike, how did you make the move from Scotland to Australia and how jarring was it to go essentially from one pole of the earth to the other? Yeah, so I made the move to accept a postdoctoral research position at the University of Sydney. And so this came after my position where I'd been doing postdoctoral research alongside the oil industry partners. So I kind of felt like at that stage, my career was at a little bit of a crossroads because I'd kind of started out in math bio and then I'd moved into doing this industrial stuff. And I kind of felt like my career wasn't really going anywhere. And in some sense, I felt like I had to do something drastic uh, to kind of <laughs> kick it off again. And I really wanted to get back into math bio. Um, and I noticed this opportunity came up to, to go and work with uh, Professor Mary Myerscoe, who again is another very well-known member of the society. And she'd you know, built up a research area thinking about these modelling plaque formation in the arteries. Uh, and so I moved to Australia to take up a position uh, working with her, uh, which has turned out to be you know, very successful for me and, and it's been great. In terms of how jarring it was, um, that's a difficult question to answer in some sense. I think career-wise, it was for me, it was the right thing to do. Obviously, you know, on a personal perspective, it's a big deal uh, yeah. to make that move. And I guess I was at a kind of, I wasn't young when I did it either. I mean, I was, I was about to turn 30. I'd already bought a house in the UK. I was engaged to be married at that time and then ended up actually moving to Australia and leaving my wife-to-be behind initially. So uh -huh. I think... <laughs> Anything that was jarring from a career perspective was just completely wiped out by the personal circumstances around it. So uh, a tough move in that sense, but it's, you know, it's, it's worked out well. It's worked out well. Including the family side? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we're, we're quite settled here now. I've got a little girl who's about to turn four. And yeah, and I've moved, I guess I've moved across the city from the University of Sydney to University of New South Wales now. So, so can you... Tell us about uh, a current project that you're working on and how you apply the maths in that situation to the biological problem. Uh, yeah, sure. Yes, we've got a few different things going on at the moment. 
Perhaps I could I could talk a little bit about a, a piece of work. It's actually been published in the, the Bulletin of Mathematical Biology quite recently, uh, which is the Society's Journal. Um, so this is a model where we are thinking about a particular type of cell that are inside these atherosclerotic plaques. So these are things that um, accumulations of, of fat and, and dead cells that, that kind of grow in your arteries. Uh, typically, if you have an unhealthy lifestyle, but that's that's not the only factor, of course. It's much more complicated. Um, but there's a, a type of immune cell that comes into these plaques called macrophages, and they're essentially scavenger cells. And it's their job to chew up, consume this fat that's inside your artery, ideally, and then remove it and take it out and, and kind of resolve the problem. And what we know is essentially, ultimately, that goes wrong and, and it doesn't happen. Um, so what we're working on is we have this type of model where you, you model uh, the population of this type of cell in the plaque. But we don't just model the number of cells, we model also the fat that they contain. And so then ultimately what you have, you can think about your population is distributed by the amount of fat that each cell contains. So you can have some cells that have got lots and lots of fat in them, other cells that have got very little fat in them. Um, and what we particularly looked at in this model was thinking about the question, well, what happens if the amount of fat that one of these cells contains actually impacts how it behaves. For example, if it chews up lots of this fat, um, it's actually, for example, more likely to die. Or it may, for example, be more likely to divide. Uh, mm -hmm. And what's the interesting thing is when one of these cells divides is it takes the amount of fat that it has and it then splits it in half between the two cells that are, that are produced. So this is, this is the question that we look to answer with this model. Um, and what we find is, you know, you get some really, really interesting predictions come out of the model. The predictions are quite difficult to test experimentally, obviously, because it's very hard to get really good data on this system because, you know, these plaques grow deep inside the body or they're grown in mice. And then in order to image them, then you have to sacrifice the mouse. And so basically you get a snapshot in time, you get a picture. So it's really it's hard to know dynamically what's actually going on. But the model allows you to make those types of predictions. Um, so that's one particular piece of work that, um, that I've been working on recently. And a lot of our models are, are based around this idea, um, but we've got lots of different things that we're investigating. Um, ultimately, what is the fate of the plaque in, in these mm -hmm. circumstances? You know, yeah. How does that drive the progression? Nice. So that paper is out already? It is, yeah. It came out last month, I think. So yeah, please do Perfect. look that up. Absolutely. We can stick the link in the show notes. And uh, we always love a good callback to one of the previous episodes. So again, Matt talks a lot more about the bulletin and yeah. his role there. So I think that's that's an excellent way for us to wrap up. Uh, really appreciate your time today, Mike. But before you go, we've got a few uh, quick fire questions because we like to show off that scientists are more than just their work. So first up, uh, in your bio that you sent to me, uh, you had uh, a nice little bit saying that you really enjoy listening to music. So what would be a good pick-me-up for you after a rough day? Oh, yeah, that's that's a tough question, I guess. I've got fairly diverse tastes, so it's hard to pick one thing in particular, but maybe <laughs> something something that always cheers you up, probably some you know, bit of classic Motown, uh, or maybe, you know, maybe some maybe some kind of garage rock type thing, something upbeat. Like the strokes or something to yeah, kind of lift the mood a little bit would always be nice. Yeah, those are two quite different ends of the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
You also said you're a fan of football uh, for the American listeners. I guess we should be talking about soccer. But in the recent World Cup, be honest, who are you rooting for out of England versus Australia? I promise not to be too offended. I'm trying to out me for the, the xenophobe that I clearly am. Uh, absolutely. Um, I, I'm absolutely <laughs> supporting Australia. Um, I guess it's okay because I've lived here for you know quite a few years now. But having said that, even if I hadn't, I would still have been supporting them. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, I was pleased that England won the Euros, but the World Cup just would have been a step too far. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it would have been too much for you. <laughs> absolutely, yeah, yeah. And in all fairness, so I'm married to a Spaniard and I am absolutely not mad that Spain won. They just played the better game. They did. They really deserved it. They were great. Yeah, it was, it was very entertaining to watch. Like the whole competition was amazing. Yeah, no, it was wonderful. Yeah, it was such uh, the way that the game has developed in the last few years is is so impressive. Um, yeah. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, my wife got really into it as well. She was getting really emotional about Australia. <laughs> uh, she's Scottish as well, but you know, um, it was yeah, it was great. It was great. Yeah, absolutely. You you've got your home now, and that's that's your home team. So the last one I had for you was to tell us your favourite useless fact. Okay. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what a useless fact is, <laughs> um, but something I've learned since moving to Australia, which I always find a little bit amusing, uh, is that wombats do square poo, <laughs> <laughs> which is a completely useless fact, but it's good to know. That's amazing. <laughs> I very much enjoyed that. Yes, um, good. <laughs> yeah, and you're right. They're, they're not always useless facts. Like there's There's always the opportunity for them to come up in like trivia or quiz, right? Absolutely. And it's also a, a, you know, a great source of amusement for my four-year-old. Uh, oh, absolutely. As well, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. My six-year-old nephew is going to love that. I'm, I'm saving that up for him. Um, <laughs> again, Mike, thank you so much. That was tremendous. I very much enjoyed our chat today. Yeah, um, no, thank you for having me. Yeah, pleasure. just let us know if there's anything else you need to plug. And as I say, we will share all the appropriate links in the show notes. Awesome. You've been listening to Biology in Numbers, a podcast from the Society for Mathematical Biology and produced by me, Pam Vebahia, at Art Science Media. You can learn more about SMB on their website, smb.org, and via social media on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Find links to all of these and some for today's guest in the episode show notes. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, and very likely your favorite podcast platform. So show us some love by making sure you review and subscribe. If you slip up on anything, just go back to like a, a good starting point for the sentence and just start saying it again and we can edit out the, the bloopers. Okay. Obviously I may just tack them onto the end so you don't get you don't get to escape that easy, but <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I've noticed that you do that. <laughs> <laughs>